Let's pray together uh, again. I know I prayed for you earlier, but I like to pray just as we open up the Word of God. Uh, Lord, help this broken vessel to proclaim your Word clearly as it should, should be, and help us all in this room to receive your Word with obedience as we should. Thank you, God, for the gift of this story. I pray that you'd impact hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are uh, changing out of the book of uh, John, or the Gospel of John, for the month of October. It is Missions Month. And so we are uh, going to spend four weeks in a row on the book of Jonah, Old Testament story of Jonah, the one thing I hope you hear me say today, which I will say more than once, is that God is a missionary God. The fact that God is a missionary God is actually evidenced all throughout Scripture. Sometimes we think that Jesus came along and gave us the Great Commission and he invented it, created it right at that moment. But we see evidence of God as a missionary God throughout the entirety of Scripture. And that's important for us to note because sometimes it can feel as if Christianity is a solo experience. That it's all about the personal relationship with God and you need to be right with God as an individual. As a person, make your personal decision to follow God and the person of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, sometimes that comes from the front, I know, where we emphasize uh, the following of Jesus Christ and then the receiving of Jesus Christ to get started and, and maybe that is to our error but sometimes also it's just plain out there because we are motivated by self unfortunately uh, all too often too much it can feel as if Christianity is not much more than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ but what if there is more What if the great story of the Bible includes God's story of revealing himself to those who don't know him, including folks from other nations, through us? Turns out we don't have to guess or wonder or speculate or discuss because we have stories, we have narratives in the Bible of what it looks like to be charged with a commission, to take the word of God to some other group of people and to obey or disobey, and to see how God works in that. Israel, in part, was chosen by God. And I say in part, not for the only reason, but in part, they were chosen by God to put the existence and the character of God on display. They were to live in terms of following God, but also in terms of uh, the revealed word of God, the law, as we call it, so that uh, they would embody the values of God, the very character of God, and, and so be, dis, dis, uh, be distinct and different from other nations and can be able to communicate to those nations the reality of the God of Israel and his call to them to know him. Well, later in biblical history, we have the Lord Jesus Christ giving to us the, the Great Commission, and he added this emphasis of make disciples of all nations. Not just simply decisions, but disciples. And not just simply individuals, but nations. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything I have commanded. So we have the, the entirety of Scripture to teach to people. The entirety of the Gospels to teach to people about Jesus. 
So if this is one of the major themes of the Bible, that we see it from page one to the very end of the page, God is interested in nations, shouldn't we encounter from time to time a story in Scripture that, that details and portrays what it looks like to hear this commission from God, to take his word elsewhere, and then you either obey or disobey in response to that. In fact, that's exactly what we have in the book of Jonah. One example of God's heart for the nations is found in Jonah's great story. So the book of Jonah is named after the man Jonah, after the prophet Jonah, and Jonah gets a lot of attention in this book. It's, so it'd be easy to read this book or, or to teach through it, I suppose, and, and, and come away thinking, okay, that's a story about the man Jonah, about the prophet who lived some 700 years before the time of Christ. Interesting story. But Jonah's not the main character in the book. God is. The story is about God and his heart for the nations. And it reveals to us the missionary aspect of God. One of the helps that sure has helped me in Bible study is to look at form or structure. And so I was reading through Jonah just chapter 1. Been through it a number of times. In fact, I've preached through this book. But I was looking again at, at structure. And I was drawn to where the story in chapter 1 begins and where it ends. Let's take a look at this. Now, just is, what's the main character going on here? Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. So we, we, we see that the, the very first thing that happens that the uh, writer draws our attention to is God initiated. God said something. God did something. This whole movement of Jonah gets started only because God said something to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. How does chapter 1 end? Verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Well, we can be, in, particularly in chapter 1, so enthralled and so intrigued by the details of the story that we really miss paying attention to the main character. It begins with God, the word of the Lord came, or the word of the Lord was sent to Jonah. And then in verse 17, but the Lord provided or appointed, you could even uh, view this as the Lord sent a great fish to swallow Jonah. The big, chapter 1 begins with God. Chapter, uh, chapter 1 also ends with God. The action begins with God sending his word, the action ends with God sending a great fish. These comments about God are like bookends. It's the first thing you encounter as you read chapter 1. It's the last thing you encounter as you finish reading chapter 1. So my natural inclination is to read through all of Jonah or read through the, the uh, chapter 1. And, I, and I, I want, I'm intrigued so much by Jonah, I want to think this is a, a story about Jonah, but looking at structure, I'm helped to understand this is something about God. So then I'm changing my question and I begin to ask, what is it that's so important in the book of Jonah that God wants me to know about him? What is it that's so important in Jonah chapter 1 that God makes sure this gets written down and preserved for the ages so that I might learn something about God? What is it that God wants me to know about himself? Well, this much is clear. Jonah gets a command to go to a foreign nation. 
Jonah tries to get out of that command by running as fast and as far as he can. And then later he tries to get out of that command by basically committing suicide by sailors. Throw me into the sea and I'll drown and take care of this situation. God miraculously preserves Jonah's life so that Jonah can obey God's command and take God's word to a nation of God's choosing. What I want to do with you this morning is talk you through the three main characters of Jonah chapter 1. And the way I see it is it's God and Jonah and the sailors. And particularly with Jonah and the sailors, we'll compare and contrast a little bit. But this helps me to understand just simply, again, based on the structure of chapter 1, that God is a missionary God. So my aim this morning is to show you in Jonah chapter 1 three evidences of God being a missionary God by looking at three sets of characters, God, Jonah, and the sailors. We'll bring in some other scriptures and I'll be uh, asking you to turn some pages or find another location on your device. But primarily we are going with Jonah chapter 1. Let's start with the person of God. The main character, as I've been saying, is, is God in, in the book of Jonah. I want to trace the movement of God. So we saw in, in verse 1, the word of the Lord is, is sent. And then the Lord is mentioned two more times in verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, went down to uh, Joppa, found a ship, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord, as if you could really do that. But he's got himself talked into. He needs to get away from there as far and as quick as possible. Verse 9, I notice Jonah self-identifies as a Jew. Let's read that. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Ironic that Jonah thinks he could somehow escape from the God who made the sea and the land by getting onto a ship and sailing the seas. Verse 14, the sailors pray to God and offer sacrifices before they throw him overboard. Um, Let's read, uh, how about verse 14? O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. And then finally in verse 17, the Lord provides, appoints, sends a great fish to preserve Jonah and his mission. You see chapter 1 is just dripping with the presence of God. And all too often, if you're just doing a read-through and if you're in a bit of a hurry, you can think, well, that's, that's a chapter, that's a book about the man Jonah. What I want to point out out of this is, is simply this idea. If Jonah had drowned in the sea and God sent somebody else who, you know, if we were to read the book of Jonah, accomplished the same thing. Eventually we know, spoiler alert, Jonah's going to make it to Nineveh. But if, if, if Jonah had drowned in the sea and God sent somebody else who complied with his directive and went to a foreign nation and spoke the word of God and got the same results that we can read about later on in the book of Jonah, that would not be good. 
The point of the story is not the results of the mission. The point of the story is the, the obedience or the compliance of Jonah to the mission. The obedience of Jonah is a big deal. Evidence that I see for God being a missionary God is he, he gives his directive to his messenger that he expects to take to a foreign nation with his message. It's got to be his message. And it has to be exactly that messenger or else the story completely changes and it's not the same. Evidence I see for God being a missionary God is that he is the sender of both the message and the messenger. And in this case, it absolutely has to be Jonah. Now, if this was the only information we had, if we only had Jonah chapter 1, we could, we, could, um, we could surmise this. God likes Nineveh. Jonah does not like Nineveh. It's clear that going to Nineveh is not Jonah's idea. It's also clear that it's God's plan. So we need to go big picture to help us understand this a bit better. What is it about Nineveh that God likes so much? Big picture. It could be argued that... Um, you know, this is a one-off kind of experience, and it's very unique. But actually, we, we have seen God's missionary heart before in the Old Testament, and we will see it again as we read further into the Old and finish the Old and get into the New Testament. There are a lot of fascinating events of history in the Old Testament, and our minds can be drawn to that to the point of being somewhat distracted by that and miss God's missionary heart that I think is all over Scripture. So I have two passages of, of Scripture. One is the Old Testament, one is the New Testament. First one is super easy to find. It's in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, and I'll just simply be turning there, Genesis chapter 12. The second one's a bit harder to find. It's in the book of Galatians in the New, New Testament, and I'll talk you through how to, how to get there. But Jonah, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 12, first three verses Listen for these three ideas or these three realities that will be talked about in the first three verses of Genesis 12. Land, nation, blessing. Look for those three. Here we go. The Lord had said to Abram, who's going to be the same guy as Abraham. He'll change his name in a bit. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will, make your, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The important words in, in uh, that little section, land, Nation and blessing are important themes in the Old Testament. If you miss that, you miss much of what the Old Testament is about. The land is the promised land, the land of Israel. The nation is the Jewish nation, nation the Jews, the Israelites. The blessing is sometimes suggested to be uh, a, a personal blessing of 
Abraham drawing close to God and seeing some amazing things and hearing some amazing uh, things to hear and, and actually doing some amazing things. And, and so sometimes I hear the phrase, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. I appreciate that, and I know it has some merit, but I disagree that that's what this passage of Scripture is about. Blessed to be a blessing on a personal level does not leave any room for us to better understand, for instance, Jonah and his call. But there is something in Genesis chapter 12 that helps us to understand that God is a missionary God. So, Whenever possible, it's a good practice to look at how the New Testament writers interpreted the Old Testament. And in fact, we have that, and it's in the book of Galatians. We have Paul, the Apostle Paul, dealing with um, the book of Galatians, and he quotes right in there this verse that we just read, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So rather than us trying to somehow surmise what Genesis 12 might mean, we can actually look into Galatians chapter 3 and find out what it meant to Paul and how he read and understood um, Galatians uh, and that state, or excuse me, how he read and understood uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. So I put on the screen a number of books. If you're turning pages, Galatians can be not the easiest book in the world to find because this is right in the middle of a bunch of smaller stuff. But if you start with the Gospels and go to the right, you encounter the, the book of Acts and Romans, keep going to the right, First and Second Corinthians, and then you land in Galatians. If you've got a device, holy moly, one of the very few times I'll say you're better off than me who turns pages. But never mind that. I didn't say it. I'm going to delete it from the tape. Here we are, Galatians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading verse 6. Consider Abraham. Oh boy, we were just reading about him. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understood then that those who believe are children of Abraham. So spiritual descendants. Uh, verse 8. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, quote, all nations will be blessed through you. Now, you might be like me, and I've got a little tiny letter F. It looks like it's in about size one font. I can actually see that. Evidently, there's some bright lights on the page. And I look down at the bottom of my Bible, and it has a reference, Genesis 12, 3. So Paul is giving us an understanding of or an interpretation of that particular verse in Genesis. Verse 9, just to finish this section off. So those who have faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who have faith are blessed. Not just Abraham, so not just a personal blessing here. Those who have faith with, um, are blessed along with the man Abraham. Now, announcing the gospel to Abraham is not necessarily an explanation that the Son of God would come to earth, live a perfect life, qualify to be our Savior, die on a cross, and bear our sin, be resurrected on the third day, as in substitutionary atonement. Announcing the gospel to Abraham is at least an understanding of justification. We have that here. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the Gentiles by faith. Uh, justification is that moment when God declares. So this is God making a just decision. 
He is declaring you to be righteous. In fact, as righteous as his son Jesus Christ, who is the only man who ever lived who met God's perfect and holy standard. God declares you to be free of sin because he looks at your faith in Jesus Christ. That's justification. It's just as if I'd never sinned. It's just as if I'd lived the perfect life that, God, that Jesus lived. God justifies those who are far from him so that he can adopt them into his family. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Not just Abraham and not just his family, the Jews, but all people. This is not a personal blessing that came to one man. The blessing that came through Abraham to all nations is the gift of the Savior. Look at verse 14. Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I'm making a big deal on nations here and, and, and um, the gift of the Savior coming through the lineage of Jesus to the nations because it's embedded in the very word Gentile here in this passage. The word for Gentile is the word ethne. Do you hear the word ethnic coming out of that? Jesus used the word ethne when he said, go to all nations and make them disciples. Tell them about me. Ethne refers to peoples, non-Jews, Gentile. In fact, it's used in verse 8 uh, uh, it's, it comes across as both Gentiles and nations, even though it's the same word. Verse 8, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the ethne by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, all ethne will be blessed through you. So God's going to justify the Gentiles, the non-Jews. That, that's going to be, in part, the blessing of Abraham. The, the lineage that comes after will include the Messiah, the Savior. And all nations will be blessed through that lineage, through, through Abraham. Gentile. In order for the nations to receive the promise of Abraham, faith in the Savior Jesus, they have to hear about the Savior Jesus. Somebody has got to go and tell them. Somebody's got to go first. Somebody has to go and tell the non-Jews, the non-Christians, the people who are far from God and just plain haven't heard the gospel. Somebody has to tell them. Somebody's got to go first. As we look at the context of the entire Bible, we can see the missionary heart of God. And that helps us when we approach the book of Jonah. And I'm going back there to the book of Jonah. That helps us when we approach the book of Jonah, to understand some of the happenings in that great story. Nineveh is important to God simply because there are people in Nineveh. That's all it takes for a city to be important to God. There's people who live in the city. Just people doesn't matter how old they are or how young they are or how ethnic they are or how religious they are. They're just people who live in a city and therefore that city is important to God. 
Because God is seeking relationship. God is seeking. He is the seeker. God is seeking relationship with people. Okay, so we could do more in God, but let's move to Jonah. Now, if you're reading the Bible straight through, if you started in the book of Genesis and went all the way through to, um, to Jonah, you would have read eight prophets prior to Jonah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah. Eight times you would have encountered some person, some, some prophet of the Lord, who received some word or words from God, some messages. And eight times you would have encountered a prophet who was obedient. Maybe there was some angst in there, some fear, some, some concern, and some stress. But, you, but eight times you would have encountered a prophet. One after another, they receive a message from the Lord, and they comply. And sometimes it goes quite smoothly. Sometimes it costs them their life. But eight times you would have read of a message being sent by God to a prophet, and eight times there would have been obedience. And so by the time you get to Jonah, this is just shocking. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed out of town. It's enough of a surprise that God sent word to Jonah to go to Nineveh. Wow, who wants to go there? It's just shocking that Jonah did not comply. Assyria, I should say, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. And Assyria hates Israel. Assyria wants to destroy Israel. And God is sending a prophet to help them out. This is a surprise. Go to, go to Nineveh is the word. And then even more shocking is that Jonah ran away from the Lord, as if you can. From a human perspective, that is understandable. The task is viewed as hard, heavy, life-threatening. Go to Nineveh, you're probably going to die if you preach my word. Well, who wants that kind of an assignment? But from God's perspective, it's got to be Jonah. Not just anybody can take this message. It has to be this guy. It has to be Jonah. And it's got to be Nineveh. Can't go to another place. Got to go to Nineveh. Even so, the running from the Lord is not simple avoidance. It was deliberate rebellion. Jonah went in the opposite direction. Let's see if we can find this on a map. So the city of Joppa is in Israel. It's just a little stick of a land right next to the water. That's the Mediterranean. 550 miles, if you're looking at it, it, what is that, to the east, uh, is Nineveh. That's modern-day Iraq. And he went to modern-day Spain, 2,500 miles away. That might have taken him a week to have gotten there. That was the idea. I'm just going to go as far away from this as possible. I don't even want to be in Israel anymore. Going to Joppa. I don't, going to Tarshish. I don't know if he speaks the language. Probably not. I'm going to run. Going for it. I'm on the run. We have it twice in this chapter that Jonah was running from the Lord. Verse 3. But then also he told the sailors of all things. I mean, is that how you self-identify if you're on a cruise ship? Hi, I'm running from God. 
uh, there's a parenthetical note. They knew he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. God's commitment to the man and the message is demonstrated by the great fish. We have a tendency to think that the great fish was all bad. True, it's dark and it's tight and it's smelly and it's awful and it's terrible, it's horrible. But Jonah is kept alive in the fish and therefore the mission is kept alive. As long as, as Jonah is alive. There are elements of the story that, that all really seem to highlight God's heart, God's missionary heart. The Ninevites are bad. They are bad people who do bad things. And yet God wants to save them. Why? Because they are people. People matter to God. Even so-called bad people matter to God. They are described as wicked or evil. They are targeted for judgment. God sends somebody to warn them. Perhaps they will repent and come back. Now, an order, what we've encountered in chapter 1 is that God sent a message. He sent a storm. He sent a great fish. And all of that is designed to get Jonah to go to Nineveh, that he might preach against it. Now, before we leave this section, you might find yourself wondering, well, that's a nice fairy tale, isn't it? I mean, did that thing, you're really telling me that thing there happened? That he got thrown into water and a big fish? You might have even said whale, thought in your mind, remembered it as whale, but the Bible doesn't say whale. It just says great fish as in mega fish. Well, before we leave this section, I want to suggest to you this is a real life experience, not just true to life. It's not one of those things where you might watch a movie and at the very beginning, based on events of a true story, this is the story. It happened this way. Here's um, uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So really, my stance is I'm going to go with Jesus on this one. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and I highlighted a couple of phrases there so you can see the symmetry. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, megafish, so the Son of Man, meaning himself, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Fascinating that that Jesus, and he, and he did mention some other prophets by name, just a few others, but fascinating that he not just gave Jonah an honorable mention here, but he actually likened his experience in the, the watery grave, if you will, to his own grave experience. Jonah, three days, three nights. Son of man, three days, three nights. Really, I, I just got to go with Jesus on this one. Okay, the last set of characters are the sailors. The sailors are, in contrast to Jonah, more credible. They display more integrity. They seem to have a repentant faith, all of which Jonah is lacking. The sailors are polytheistic. They believe in many gods. We are told in this that they, when this thing first started, um, they were, they were uh, crying out to their gods, plural. And let's take a look at verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the, the ship. The sailors plead with God or, and, and ask God for mercy. 
Even as they're throwing Jonah overboard, please don't hold us accountable for killing this guy. Jonah tried running away. Now he's trying to end his life by uh, being thrown into the sea. But let's read the final statement made by the sailors. Verse 15. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Wow. So they end up fearing the Lord and coming to the God of Israel with repentance and humility. Oh, that Jonah should have shown such repentance and humility early on. Unlike Jonah, they worship God. So I, I, I will suggest that Jonah is a bit of, a, bit of satire. It's a, it's a critique against the man Jonah and against the nation Israel. For being slow to understand God's heart for the nations. The good news of the gospel can only be good news for people if they hear it so that they can respond to it. Now, some of you are a bit uncomfortable knowing, oh boy, we're getting into missions month here. He's going to talk about missions and sooner or later he's going to give me the suggestion that I should go. Some of you have already made up your mind that you're not going to go. And maybe that's the right thing given age and, and appropriateness and skill set and all of that. Maybe that's the right decision. But maybe, just maybe, you could still join on a short-term experience and experience for yourself the missionary heart of God. Maybe it could be your commitment to uh, engage in focused prayer, prayer for the nations or pray for missionaries, pray for unreached people groups, pray for the per persecuted church scattered across the nations. Maybe you could join with God's missionary heart and help to send people. I've had occasions recently where I've been able to share the gospel with people living in our area. It's a wonderful experience. I invite you to join me and others who are getting to know God's missionary heart and sometimes you don't even have to leave this nation or even this city to do that let's pray together god we thank you for the experience of jonah and we call it a story but we know it's not a story in the sense of it being made up but it's a story, it's a, a narrative, something that actually happened, and we get to read it and learn from it. It's an amazing thing to think that you created a, a great fish to swallow Jonah, not just from a human perspective of what that was like, wow, but that you were so committed to the man and to the message and to the city of Nineveh that nobody else in that area would have liked. We are humbled by that. Sometimes we are kind of sort of like Jonah and we make excuses to not pray or to not open our mouths and speak a gospel conversation. 
or it's not even wanting it to be on our plates, not even, not even wanting it to be on our, our radar or our list. So in those, for those moments that we more or less run from you, God, I want to say we're, we're, we're sorry for that. Help us to not run from you, but to run to you at every turn. Even when we don't understand. Even when we can't see how your plan could possibly work. We want to run to you. You are the safest, kindest, greatest person that we know. And we want to run to you every time. And along the way, Lord, if you call us to have gospel conversations somehow or in some way, we want to receive that and be eager to offer to you our obedience. If along the way you, you move us and prompt us to pray and to, to be engaged in intercessory prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in other, some, some other location that we can't even imagine, then we want to be on our knees on a regular basis holding them up that you might respond to our praying and perhaps even win people to Christ through the efforts of another. Thank you for this glorious plan to populate heaven by using people to tell people the story of Jesus. Count us in, Lord. Count us in. In Jesus' name, amen.